Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. you've heard it, um, but what I want to do, um, I would just say, don't hate me, I want to talk about love one more time, <laughs> so, and for a title, I just want to use uh, the word, the pattern, the pattern, and I want to read um, the lesson I was actually supposed to do, um, had um, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, um, says a tremendous amount and I just want to read it to start with 1 Corinthians 13 4 through 7 says charity suffereth long and is kind charity envieth not charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up does not behave itself unseemingly seeketh not her own is not easily provoked thinketh no evil rejoice not in Iniquity, but rejoice in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. And if we could just do that right there, we would be we would be okay. Because <laughs> that is saying a whole a whole lot. And that is that I'm telling you, them few verses right there says a whole lot. I I am not joking now what I want to do is I want to if it'll be on the screen or if you want to turn with me to John 15 uh, John St. John chapter 15 this is one verse that we always pull out of this but what I want to do is read this verse in the context where, where it was put in so I want to just do that and but I want to start by reading what the Lord's talking about. He starts off in 15 talking about, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Basically, as the branches, you have to be attached to the vine. So then he says in verse in chapter 15, at verse 7, he said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Now, the person that says, God, give us an open check, don't understand that. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. That way, if you have got that part, then nobody's going to ask something out of the will of God. That's why he says you can ask what you will. Because it's a two-way street. In other words, you're in God and his law is in you. So you're not going to be praying to win the lottery. You're not going to be praying for God to give you something that you shouldn't have. God has the confidence to say, if you're with me and my words in you, 
then you can ask what you will because it's going to be according to the will of him, not this flesh, the will of the spirit. And that's why it's always, you know, something that, that parents has, has, you might go to your grave, God has promised you something. And if you, you just can't feel defeated, if, if God has promised you something about a child and your eyes never see it, don't think God didn't come through with it. Just because, you know, my eyes didn't see it don't mean God is going to not fulfill it. But God is true. That's why he says, if this is done, if you're in me and this word's in you, then you can ask what you will. So he tells them now, go to verse 9. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Now, 11, verse 11. I'm going to read 11 through 14. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy may be full. Listen to what he says. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Now, this is the verse we always pull out. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Listen to 14. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. So he's telling them in 12, this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Now, that's the distinction that I want to make. It's not he is talking to his disciples. He's not talking to nobody else. He's not talking, he's not witnessing to the crowd. We put it like this. He's talking to the church. What I want you to do is love one another as I have loved you. That's what he's wanting them to do. And then that's why he tells them, greater love hath no man than this. He's going to the cross, and he's telling them, I've loved you till the end. I have gave everything for you. And he says, that's the way I want you to love each other. Not those outside the wall. And I'll make that distinction in a minute. But he's talking to the church. That's as I have loved you. So now, this is my, actually my text. John 13. This is the one that has been read quite a few this past month. St. John 13, and let's read 33 through 35. Little children, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews... Whether I go, you cannot come, so now I say unto you, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Now, in verse 33, here it is, he's telling them, he gets, them, he gets his disciples together. And he tells them, he calls them little children. This is the only time in the Gospels that this phrase is used. So it's not, it's not like we would think he's being derogatory. He is looking to them as his children, as a father would. He's telling them, little children, come to me. I got something to say. And he's telling them, he said, I have got to do this. So we, 
we, I, I have even said, and for years I've wanted to do this, but I just had never done it until now. Brother Boyd's gone, so I'm going to do it. So, so my thought is I have even said love is the benchmark. And I believe that's true only to a part. But love is only half of the benchmark. The way we have got to love, and I can simply put it like this and then just go, go through. In the Old Testament, God give them Leviticus. It was known all the way back, love your neighbor, what? As yourself. That was the pattern. God told them, I'm fixing to give of you of my spirit. Now, the game has changed. I'm taking the responsibility from you. When you come in here, it's love your brother and your sister as I have loved you. The pattern goes from you to me. Other words, it ain't like I come in here and I love you as me. That's not the case. That is the Old Testament law. We read of that in the New Testament. That's why Jesus said a new commandment. The game had changed. We can love everybody outside of these walls as much as we love ourselves, I believe, and still be biblical. But when he said, as I have loved you, I think that's within these walls. That's why, it's, that's why I think it's so critical not to chew each other up. I'm telling you, because I really, really believe God put a higher mark on us when it come. Here is God fixing to go to the cross. He's fixing to give them everything he had worked for. He, his, that's literally, he told him. he said, this is why I came. I came to die. So he's doing this. He tells them, now they have this pattern. The pattern must be followed. It's as I have loved you. That's what we got to do. And it's not, that's we, the extent of this. Other words, it's not love. Other words, love wasn't new. But it was the extent of this love that was going to be new. Because out there I can love everybody like me. But in here, it's different. I got to go to the extent that God went to. And that's going to take a whole lot more than I could do within myself. And I believe God giving us his spirit equips us to do that. So now, this pattern of self-sacrifice and love that God gives us equips us to do it, literally and truly. If you've worked around plans and stuff, there's what's known as a mirror image. That's what literally we are to be or strive to be is a mirror image of what we read of God in the Bible. And I'm telling you, that is not something that's done overnight. Nor should, should it be something that we think we could have never obtained to. Everyone's different. Everybody's personalities. Everybody's anger level. Everything. You could just continue, go on and on and on. God knows all of that and takes that into account. So I can't just say, well, I'll never obtain to that. I can't do that. That's to sell God short. I can say, God, you thought enough of me to give me your spirit. So I know you can help me to be what I need to be in the kingdom of God. So we can, we can see that. Now, love in itself is 
124 times in the Old Testament, 157 times in the New Testament. Now, if you don't know this figure, it will surprise you. How many times do you think love is in the book of Acts? Okay. I can see you're overwhelmed, so I'll tell you. <laughs> now, I want to say this and be right. There's two things I think the world has just went crazy over, and that's love and grace when it comes to the church. Now, and what I mean by that, I'll, I'll explain what I mean. I don't think that they are, that they are abusing God because you can't. I believe the method that it's being taught has been an abusive way of what people is being taught. I believe it's wrong. I believe that you can tell people that think they're getting grace when they're really not. Think they're going to obtain God's love when they're really not. Because, in other words, there's too many character references in the Bible. If God was going to let anybody go, when Moses struck the rock, you the man, I'll let this slide. But God wasn't going to do it. The apostle Peter, the one he just handed the keys to, old big head, I forgive you this time. So we have to have a balance and we have to be taught about grace and love. And the world just runs with it. Do what you want. God is a God of love. And, and, and I'll get to my point. And, and this is why I even say that. Love is not even in the book of Acts. They was all about distributing, going with the church. Not that we, the Bible tells us God is a God of love. That's why it's got to be taught, I believe, in the proper context. It's got to be taught the biblical way. Now, the Bible plainly tells us God is a God of love. We take our children and we take them. I don't, I, I don't know this. I don't know what the youngest age is on children anymore that they go to Sunday school. But we teach them. From the very beginning all the way up, even people that comes in here, hears that you are responsible for your own sin. And if you do not teach people that, if you take your kids and never tell them and teach them what happened in Genesis, when they go to school, all they're going to hear is your God says he's a, your Bible says he's a God of love. Well, how come all this chaos is in the world? Tell me the answer to that. How come all this confusion and all these murderers and all this wrong and all this evil that's out there? Where's your God in all of this? Why is he letting all this happen? You have to understand the concept of where love is in this. And where man's accountability comes in to this. And if, and if we don't teach that, then we'll stand back and say, where is God in all of this? How many times have you heard somebody stand up in the public and say, look what the enemy is doing to our world? You don't hear it. It's God. He's the problem. He's what's wrong. When we got people now that are so arrogant, it is unbelievable. 
I'm telling you, let's grow some skin and not be, I'm, and don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not wanting to offend anybody. But the Bible said, preach this truth and don't be ashamed of it. Man, we got people that spit in your face and, and I'm worried about offending somebody. I'm sorry. Not a chance. I ain't going to do it. I'm not going to purposely offend nobody. I think you know me well enough to know that. But if they want an answer, I'll give them the best biblical answer I can. I'm not going to tell them God loves them when I think he does it. And it's not that he doesn't love them. Sure, he loves them. But man is responsible for his own self. And he has to be held accountable. That's why I've heard wives, or excuse me, mothers say, you can't tell me my baby is a sinner. Nobody's calling your baby a sinner. What you better wake up to is that baby is born with a sin nature that you better get a hold of. Because at two years old, you'll change your mind and think, I see that sin nature coming out. So but the, the point is this, we have to understand God is telling us, yes, I'm love, I have loved everybody, I will be this way, but we have to do this, we have to do this. But the Old Testament all the way through, the pattern was love your neighbor as yourself. It changed in my estimation, at Calvary. And you was to love the church as Christ loved the church. You were to love them as he did. Now, let's go to the same, I'm in the same book, John. I want to read 13.1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which was in the world, he loved them until the end. Now, what this is basically is, is Jesus' farewell address to his disciples. He's basically got them together. He's telling them what's going to happen. And he's, we see this as a supper. Jesus takes on the role of a slave. That's when he washes their feet. Um, Brother Chris Osborne spoke of this. That's in the 13th chapter. He's basically going through them. And now we've heard this, you know, of a, um, basically uh, this is the Lord's basically dying words. We can say the, 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 uh, from the lips of the dying, the words are sacred. So here's the Lord right here at the last telling his disciples what is going to happen. And he's going through this. And the pattern was, He's telling them. Now, in verse 4, he says, He rises from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself, and after he poured water into a basin, he began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. Now, all the way back, and I'm going to jump to 19. Now I tell you, before it come, that when it come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, he says it twice, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, 
And he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. Now, we know that flesh and spirit, we understand that. But God has taken and he's telling them, this is it. I've went through it. I've washed your feet. I have did this. I've told you that you are to love each other. Not talking to nobody else. Love each other as I have loved you. Now, what I want to do is, and I'm not going to take too long in this, but I found um, some information on the disciples. Since he was talking about the disciples, now, he called 12. We know that was Jews, uneducated basically, simple men of faith. They became followers of the Lord. They spent over three and a half years learning this. He just basically said unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So Peter and Andrew were the early followers. Basically, they was followers of John the Baptist. Peter being the oldest, he was introduced. Once Peter was introduced to Jesus, he left and became a follower of Jesus. Now, basically, Simon Peter... As we know him, he was a natural leader, basically a spokesman. We know him to be the one out front for the 12. His name is mentioned far more in the New Testament than any other disciple. He was older than Andrew, and he was the only disciple that was married. And his wife actually went and traveled with him on occasion. Now, what we know of Peter, he was the one known for the denying Christ three times after he was arrested. Now, Andrew, which was Simon Peter's brother, he was the one, he was also a disciple of John the Baptist. And he was present with John the Baptist when John said, Behold the Lamb of God. So they're there. In other words, they had some connection to the Lord before the Lord called them. So as soon as the Lord asked them to call, they did. It is just, it's, I don't know. What would it be like? I mean, I try to put that in perspective. You're a fisherman. You're with John the Baptist. And you see a man that's, uh, is herald to be, you know, I don't know how they looked at Jesus, really. If, if they just didn't have no doubt at all. He's the Messiah. He's the one. And Jesus they was fishermen, and Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And the Bible says they just, you know what? That's it. You know, man, I'm telling you, they, that was their livelihood. And they just dropped <laughs> drop the nets, and they're gone. You know, it's, I, I just, I don't know. That's just hard for me. In other words, Andrew was not dominant like his brother. He was the one, the, uh, Simon always took the lead, but he was there. James, he's just, um, he's listed as the younger brother of John. He remains somewhat obscure except for the fact that, uh, for the fact that he was um, part of Jesus' inner circle. And in fact, I guess you could say the Lord nicknamed them the sons of thunder. Now, John, now he was, um, well, 
James was part of the inner circle. Now, when it comes to John, he was known as really as the disciple that loved the Lord, really. That's it. I mean, he he really did love the Lord. John wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in the book of Revelation. He he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. That's where he wrote Revelation. And then later was able to leave Philip. The next day he purposed to go into Galilee. Speaking of the Lord, he found Philip. And Jesus said unto him, follow me. And what does he do? He just leaves. I mean, he just leaves. And we know almost nothing literally about Philip except he was a Jew, but he was known by his Greek name, Philip. That's what we know. And he was anxious to tell Nathaniel or the one that Moses had prophesied had been found. Now, Nathaniel, also known as um, Bartholomew, uh, he came from Cana in Galilee. Jesus recognized him sincerely for his love of God in the beginning when he said, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit or guile. Now, what we do know about these men is they was just common men. They was just men Jesus overlooked. As we would say, all the, the high and mighty, he didn't pick none from the Sanhedrin or, or Pharisees or now, he chose these men literally because he, he exalts the humble, like I need to be right now, and, and gives them strength. Now, Matthew, really and truly, of all the people that was hated in that day, was a tax collector. And here's the Lord said, you know what? I need you to be a disciple of mine. And I could, you know, you could almost... The crew that he had gathered so far, really? <laughs> I could just, if it was me, I would. <laughs> really? A tax collector? Okay. So he gets Matthew. But what they would do, the, the tax collectors was known for taking extra money from the people of Israel to pay off the Romans and to pocket some for themselves. So they was not liked because... It had something to do with money. Now, Thomas, usually nicknamed Doubting Thomas, but Thomas was also called Didymus. Here's, a, here's an interesting fact about him, which it literally means twin. But there's nothing in the Bible at all that mentions either a brother or a sister regarding Thomas. Now, Lazarus had died and the disciples had feared for the life of Jesus and they wanted to go back to Bethany and it was Thomas speaks up and said, let us go that we may die with him. Now that's Thomas speaking. Now this is a quality and a character that you normally don't hear of him, but it was Thomas. And he even said, the one uh, questioned the Lord, the Lord told him, he is going, and Thomas says it like this, and you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas said unto him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Thomas was saying, God, we've got to be sure that we know the way. So Thomas was saying, I want to know for sure. I want to know. So Thomas was trying to stay connected to the Lord. James the less. 
His mother's name is Mary. He had a brother named Joseph. There's just a very few details. Nothing more is mentioned in Scripture about him. Now, it's important to remember, although that James was somewhat in the background, he was chosen by Jesus to be a disciple. Now, Simon the Zealot, he was another like a tax collector. Here's this guy. He's all over the map. He's passionate. He's just all... He's the one that's doing everything probably you don't want him to do. And the Lord picks him to be a disciple. And you think, why would somebody pick somebody with this background to be a disciple, to actually be a witness for the Lord? God didn't call nobody. I mean, he, he really didn't. He, he got him. The, the guy had fierce loyalties, courage, and zeal. And that's who the Lord picked because God knew that he would take the same fire that he had for that and turn it in for him, and he did. Judas, the son of James, he was the uh, number 11, also known as Jude. He said he's going to reveal himself to, to only to us and not the world at large. Christ responded to him saying that he would reveal himself. To, that was a question Jude asked. Are you going to reveal yourself to us and not the world? And God said, basically, I will reveal myself to anyone who asked or seeks me. Now, he takes and he does that. The last one that you know, Judas Iscariot. And the Lord said this, Did, did I myself not choose you the twelve and one of you is a devil? Now he met Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. The traitor, nothing is known about Judas's background. His encounter and call by Jesus is not even recorded in Scripture. He is not from Galilee, that much is known. Um, but he did give Jesus three, three and a half years of his life, but he didn't give him his heart, though. He betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. The other 11 apostles were great encouragement because they exemplified how just common man could work and do the work of a God that just in remarkable ways. Now, he was a man, Judas was a man as close to God as you could get. And Judas is the one that chose to do this. Now, you know, it's been asked and wondered before if, you know, I just can't believe that Judas was born just to fulfill that role. Not what I know about the Lord. Um, I believe Judas chose, chose to do that. You know, because, and what I base that on is, one, is, is Ruth. You know, God said, ain't no more about going to come in here. Period. They are cut off forever. And yet God, when Ruth made this statement, your God's going to be my God. Where they bury you, they're going to bury me. That all changed. So, but now, and the reason I went through them 12, and let me explain it like this. 
the way we see, and, and hopefully you'll get this connection, um, in the book of Revelation, we have the seven churches. There was more churches in Asia than seven churches. But them seven churches basically represent the church as a whole. Now, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples, and he was telling them, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. I believe them 12 disciples represent the church and what we can encounter, the kind of people we can encounter in the church and what the extent that we would go to and what we can have. I believe them 12 will be because, and I'll just mention a few, there will be ones just like Peter. I love you all the way to the end of the world. And in the end, they might deny it. And there'll be those like John. They're just so easy to love. I mean, they are the easiest person in the world to love. And there'll be like those like Matthew. They got a past <laughs> that you just want to pass them. But God said, you must love as I have loved you. And sometime we may be the ones being passed. And Matthew, God took Matthew, somebody with a past that people literally despised and hated, and made a disciple out of him. And then there will be ones like Thomas that says, you know what? I don't care what you say. Unless these eyes see it, <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> and then there will be, you know, some like, really? Really? <laughs> when it comes to Simon the Zealot, really, Lord, you took him? I can't believe. <laughs> you should you should have consulted me. We, we would have had to talk. But the Lord... The Lord knows what he's doing. Now, and then there's always Judas, the ones that are so close and have the love, and it just seems like in spite of everything you do, it just doesn't work out. It just doesn't work out. And I believe that as Jesus looked at them, I really believe a distinction was made because it can't be like it was then. You can't be the pattern anymore. You can't be the gauge. Love your neighbor as yourself. You have got my spirit. When it comes to people in here, my people, it's got to go deeper than that. And so therefore, I think that's what he was doing. So, I'm going to ask you to stand. I want to read one more. And this has nothing to do with love, so you can relax. This is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. That's one that I love. Okay. But we always quote 7. But if you look up the passage, 6 and 7 
go together. You can't have seven without six. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. He said, be anxious for nothing. Careful is anxious. Don't be worried. But in everything, I believe there's nothing, nothing in life. God is concerned about everything we get into, go through, find ourselves in. Paul said, he said, but in everything by prayer and supplication. And he said, if you would do this, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep. Keep is a military term that means guard. God said, if you would do that, then I'll guard your heart and your mind. Here's a phrase I know you can do. I'm going out of my mind. I don't know what that means to you, but to me, it means literally I can't control my thoughts. I got so much on my mind that I just can't control them. And God said through Paul that if you would guard your on being anxious, pray about everything. And if you would do that, let your request be made known unto God, then the peace of God that passes all understanding... I don't even understand this. I'm not paid to understand it, so to speak. God said that he would keep, he would guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And I appreciate that. Hallelujah. Let's pray one more time. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what it means. We thank you for what you can do. I thank you for what this word can do. Touch us, holy God. Touch us as a church. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.